We're here. You are listening to A Brief History of Power. I'm Willie Grills here with Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz, and we're going to continue our border discussion, but this time we're going to talk about Mormons. Adam, how's it going? It's going extremely well. Wonderful. I'm sure you're excited, you know, coming off the heels of generic borders to now talk about uh, some very esoteric and autistic uh, subjects here. <laughs> I mean, Mormonism is such a, you know, I mean, it's it's such an American thing, so it fascinates for that reason. But it's always esoteric, but at the same time, it just objectively matters more than most things that would be easier to understand. So you know, we could talk about the history of Baptists in Missouri. It just wouldn't matter nearly as much. And certainly not for talking about violence specifically. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it is hard to separate early Mormonism from violence. Um, <laughs> Indeed, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was spread by the sword. I mean, I'm not going to go pu- all, uh, you know, Alvin Schmidt on you here. Ma- American Muhammad. I'll push back against that a little bit. But uh you know, we can decide if Joseph Smith's militia is based or cringe in this episode. Yeah, there you go. So listen further for a final verdict on that. <laughs> well, all right. So where should we begin? Let's let's start with how the Mormons got there. And, you know, we, we said in the last week that they resemble Yankees generically. They are sort of a subset of Yankees. That is people of originally New England derivation. You know, Joseph Smith, his family, and Brigham Young's family are both from Vermont, which is kind of New England's first frontier, going through New York State, which is where he's raised. But would you kind of take us through how do they get to Missouri? Where do they come um, from? Sure. And I'll try and be as brief. It's only an hour show after all. So Joseph Smith is actually going to be born in 1805 in, in Vermont, but they are going, his family is going to bounce around quite a bit between um, Vermont, New Hampshire, eventually settling in Palmyra, New York, a uh, small village. So they're going to come out of you know, New York, the New England part of Ohio eventually, these kind of old parts of America, for lack of a better term. He's going to come out of a part of the country that was undergoing a lot of Methodist revival, early American Methodist revival, Visionary experiences are not going to be foreign to those people. Right. The idea that God is communicating directly with them is not going to be foreign. A lot of the things that is going um, that is going to develop into what we call Mormonism, and even in the early days of it, these are things that in his part of the country are really not that extreme. Religious ecstasies, visitations by angels, those sorts of things. Right. And we tend to think of the Northeast as really rather stoic, stiff upper lip kind of thing. And that's true insofar as manners are concerned. But there is at at that time a sincere yearning for what I'm going to call a warm religious experience. Right. No pun intended regarding the burning of the bosom. But so that's where they're going to come from. So Joseph Smith is going to be, we'll say, visited by the angel Moroni um, in, uh, if you will. If you, as one does, you know, in the early 1800s. And so from there, he is going to get the goal. That's 1823, by the way, the first time. Um, he will eventually get what he claims are golden plates. Uh, that's by 1827. He's actually allowed to obtain them, from which he and Oliver Cowdery claim to 
translate the Book of Mormon. From there, you know, 1829, the publications are going to uh, be complete, or the publications going on, they've moved to Pennsylvania by that point. There are various claims of visitation from John the Baptist, restoring the priesthood to to the church, what is, you know, then going to be known as the Church of Christ or the Church of Jesus Christ. And so moving on, they're going to go from New York to Pennsylvania on down into Ohio. Uh, The the translation uh, before they get to Ohio will, of course, be complete. Joseph Smith will send out missionaries. By 1831, he claims to have received a revelation. You're going to find that in Doctrine and Covenants 38, I believe, to move to Ohio. Once they get into Ohio, they begin building the first uh, of their temples. They will consecrate the first of their bishops. More doctrines are going to be laid down, what's going to become to be known as the law and Doctrine and Covenants 42. So by the time they are in Ohio, the religion is taking on a much more structured form uh, through these claimed revelations from Joseph Smith. They're going to be sending out missionaries upon missionaries, and Joseph Smith will receive a vision or a revelation, we'll say, to send people to Missouri, which is how we get up to speed uh, where we are. By 18... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, in New York or or Pennsylvania, and I, I would agree that the Susquehanna River is a, is a uniquely blessed river. I, I think I agree with the Mormons on that. Um, I mean, w- when are we rebaptizing ourselves in her waters? That's the question. <laughs> or, or Ohio? Do they do they face the kind of violent political threats that they will when they get to Missouri? You actually do have, you do have not to that degree. Okay, uh, but you do have some. I mean, they're they're beaten where they go. Uh, at least so there are some accounts in in uh, Pennsylvania in the other states that they go to. What's interesting is the greatest persecution they'll find in Ohio is going to be from the Mormons themselves yeah. who 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 run them out after the Kirtland Safety Society fails. Right. But Which nothing is, like nothing like what you're going to see right. um you know in, in Missouri. That's just the classic Jacksonian America bank failure. Such as <laughs> well, such as could happen to anybody. And, and I mean that's that's the truth. You know, yeah. the uh there's a large banking crisis at the time. But, you know, uh, kind of the most significant Ohio event that I can think of is in Hiram, Ohio. In 1832, you get the tarring and feathering of Joseph Smith. And then they they think that Sidney Rigdon's dead. Like, that's how bad he's beaten. Right. And, you know, so you do have that. We can't say that there aren't significant events, but you're going to have it on a mass scale and a state sanctioned scale in Missouri. And and as they're moving west, so they're would you say they're they're a bigger group, partly because of all the sending of these missionaries in Ohio than they are, you know, early on, right? Obviously, so they're kind of collecting as a as they're a collecting group. in Ohio, uh, yeah, partly because they find they found the temple there, so they build their temple, and the temple is going to be a place where ordinances are performed. The Kirtland, Ohio temple is never functioning in a temple in quite the same way as say the temple in Nauvoo will be because the full form of temple ordinances is not developed by then. Right. So you do have ordinances going on, say in the second, the upper floors of the Kirtland Ohio temple, but it's basically a public building in a way that Mormon temples today are not. Right. You have public classes going on. You have public worship going on in there. You don't have the real clandestine kind of stuff going on. You do. You have the rudimentary forms of it in Kirtland, 
but the rituals themselves are not fully developed until Illinois. Of course, they settle in Illinois um, in large part because of the persecution from Missouri. Right. Because the plan initially is to head to far west, far west Missouri, Caldwell County, where you know W.W. Phelps and John Whitmer are going to, you know, they're going to found they're going to found it in 1836. So they go to far west Missouri, which is, you know, it's it's not as far west as you can get, but it's pretty far west. And so W.W. Phelps and John Whitmer, two significant early Mormons found it. Now, John Whitmer is the first historian for the church, for the Mormon church. He was one of the eight witnesses of the golden plates of the Book of Mormon. W.W. Phelps is the literary voice of the early Mormon church. He is He's going to find himself excommunicated at some point, but that's true of a lot of the early Mormon uh, founders. <laughs> he's, he's a noted uh, hymn writer as well. He writes praise to the man, and if you could hide to Kolob, uh, you know, two bangers. And so there you go. He writes so, a hymn called Adam Andi Amen. If you are, will. Are, so are they they're in Missouri originally because of purported divine revelation or correct, people are just correct. wandering there? It's, no, they're not wandering. Uh, okay. Joseph Smith claims that he has a revelation that the saints are to go to Missouri. Okay. And so in by uh, by 1831, you know, he's going to start out there. It's June, June, I believe June 19th, 1831, Joseph was going to head out there to designate the land of Zion. July 20th, Jackson County, Missouri, is, de- is, de- is designated as the center place for Zion and its temple. And by August 3rd, the temple is um, is dead or the temple site is dedicated. And that's what's now Independence, Missouri. That is what is now Independence, Missouri, and it's one of the most unique places for Mormon history in the country because you have all of these competing Mormon groups on the same temple lot. <laughs> right. And, 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 and the, the reason being, what, what does Joseph Smith believe about Jackson County, Missouri, in, let's say, biblical terms? Well, it's, it's going to be the site of Christ's return. It's uh, essentially the Garden of Eden. It's the place of paradise. And... Um, so you have all these biblical – so Joseph is going to take an archaeological tour of Missouri and find all of these sites. Here is the site where Adam did this. You know, yeah, Here is the right. site where – but most significantly, it is the apocalyptic uh, seat, for lack of a better term. Yeah. When Christ returns, he'll reign from Jackson County, Missouri. <laughs> I mean, and we all believe this. I mean, we know this in our hearts. <laughs> Instinctively, I'm sorry to mock your religion. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's, it's ironic that it's my religion, and yet you're the clean shaven, the more clean shaven one with the with the largest and widest family. So with the yeah, with, with the upstate New York heritage. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, really, you've got a Joseph Smith look, and I definitely have a Porter Rockwell thing going on, <laughs> and so it's a pretty good vibe, really. Yeah, there you go. So they're they're gonna go. There's Jackson County, Missouri, but what happens to them in Jackson County once they've begun to settle there in the early 1830s? Yeah, so when they come to Jackson County, the uh, you know it's already settled, and so by 1833, the saints are going to be expelled from Jackson County. You know, it's kind of a hard thing uh, to understand. So. So this is like 1833, the expulsion. 1834, there's, you know, Joseph's still in Kirtland. 
in accordance with the revelation he claims to receive, he begins to recruit for Zion's camp. So that's going to be men who go to Jackson County to help those who were expelled. Right. May 8th, he's going to head off to Missouri to try to, to try to work on this thing. Why were they removed? That's that's kind of the... Well, how, how can you remove yeah. an entire people group on the basis of their religion? Yeah, well, it's, it's simple. This is a free country, you, you, right? Yeah, you form a mob and and you and you run them out. And sometimes the governor helps you, which is going to come a little bit later. But the difference between a mob and a militia is, does the state recognize you or not? And when you're reading Mormon history, you have to be careful because sometimes they'll say a mob uh, arose and did X. But oftentimes, once you be, once you do digging, you find out it was actually the state militia. Right. And so... Which, which know, is particularly common and well-drilled in Southern or Southern-derived places in a way that it's not in the North. Right. So when they moved to Missouri, they're messing with an armed force that didn't exist. At, I mean, it should have legally, but didn't exist in any kind of recognizable right. form in upstate New York, for example. Right. And I'm still over here in 1833. It's 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 1838 before Lilliburn Boggs issues the extermination order. Right. And and so um, this is kind of a protracted sit- situation. Yes. And you know it, it wasn't a one time incident. So you've got say 1833. So we're talking about October 1833. The anti Mormon mob drives the Mormons from Jackson County. There are some casualties. People are harmed. And I, and I think kind of the worst things here are going to be that women and children are hurt. But to kind of set it up, 1831, they begin to settle Jackson County. Okay, so a large group of strange Yankee people adhering to a new religion. And really, there are Southerners mixed in as well, but still predominantly recruits from the North. They come because of a revelation on June 6, 1831, that Joseph Smith received that they were righteous and would inherit the land held by others. And in the words of the revelation, land which is now held by your enemies. <laughs> and so there is still in Jackson County or yeah. in the areas a large Indian presence. So they're right. going to try to proselytize among the Indians here. And the white settlers are wondering what the heck's going on. And as we talked about in the last episode, most Missourians are pro-slavery and they're Southern. Most Mormon immigrants are sympathetic to abolitionism. And so they begin to be harassed. There's a lot of mob violence. And so the Mormons do this. They do this at least four times. They, in large numbers, come to a community and they essentially resettle the community overnight. They, yeah, they move very quickly in a very large group. Yeah. And, and, and in some cases, you know, they're able to get men in positions of power, but in these four instances, they, they basically get ran out as quick as they come in, but it's not easy. I mean, these are large numbers of people. Jackson's not huge. Far West is not going to be huge. So they're going to need to call up the militia, which is going to round up people from the surrounding villages, counties, farms. And come into the come into the land. It's nothing that we've really seen outside of, say, Dearborn in modern times. Right. Which is so Pastor Girls is referring to the enormous Muslim movement into Dearborn, Michigan, which was heretofore kind of a very standard, you know, yeah. mostly mostly white Protestant suburb of Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. So you have so you have men following Joseph 
And Joseph is saying that God is saying the land belongs to your enemies, but he's going to give it over to you. They take that as a mandate to settle the land, like Israel going into Canaan. Right. <laughs> and, and, and those are the terms that are used. Now, I do think it's true in large part that the Mormons were not the violent aggressors, but they were aggressors in a different way. Because you can paint the picture this way. Well, they came in and they just wanted religious freedom. Okay, true. But they also came into established communities seeking to overturn them. Right. Yeah, it's uh, never, excuse me, it's never, it's never going to be the same once they get there. And this is, I mean, to me, against some deep New England background, this is very, this is a very common New England pattern is yes. that a covenanted people must and shall sweep all before them. Yeah, and this is something that I talk about in Bible class a lot and and other lectures and things like that. I don't think people understand covenanting and just how entrenched it is in American religious history because of the people we descend from. So if you have established a covenant with God, or if you are God's covenant people, now you have a mandate. You have a mandate to subdue creation and to bring it to a right mode of thinking. And this is, frankly, how the early Mormons felt. But if I'm being honest, it's also how the early Presbyterians felt <laughs> and, a lot, and a lot of early American settlers. Right. I mean, you can look at the history of virtually any of the 13 colonies and see similar things here as far as how religion is is used. Right. Yeah, and this, this goes back to something I've talked about a lot on the show, which is the idea that contrary to, I think, some of the – certainly some of the way that Lutherans talk lazily about election, especially corporate election – this does not make you insecure. Instead, it makes you insanely confident. <laughs> so, <laughs> the more, right. And, and, and your behavior will accord with that immense confidence yeah. that God is going to bless well, you. And it took, I mean, it took mob action to drive them out because, okay, so 1833, up until then, what, what Lilliburn Boggs is getting are letters of protest from the established community leaders who are saying, hey, these Mormons are coming in, they're weird, they're taking things over, we need to expel them. Yeah. So they they actually do try the diplomatic approach first. Right. And they appeal to the authorities. You know, you need to send somebody in to to get rid of these people. That doesn't work, and so they take matters into their own hands. And we can debate over whether that's justified or not. Now you can put you have to put yourself in the shoes of those who are in Jackson County. I think. To understand yeah. their actions there. Yeah, right. I, I I think if you if you don't, and it, it should be pretty easy for the listeners because as far as I know, our Mormon listenership is is low. Well, it's gonna um, it's gonna grow. <laughs> but you know, you're you're probably not insanely sympathetic to the Mormons. So it should be relatively easy to think to yourself, what if a completely <laughs> alien, not exactly foreign, but definitely alien people group comes into my town and within a matter of weeks. And this is this is one thing that and I, I told Pastor Girls this when we were setting up for this episode. And, and I was, you know, as a as a descendant of people from upstate New York, I was a little proud when I when I saw this, <laughs> is they describe the immense energy displayed by the Mormons. So it's right. like there's two Mormons, three weeks later, there's like six hundred, not not even exaggerating. Yeah. And, and they and, they and, and quickly, the quickly into the thousands. You know, um, I mean, you think by the time you get to Nauvoo, so they're going to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, driven out of Missouri, although some will remain. I mean, Nauvoo rivals Chicago in size for yeah. the time. 
Yeah, it's number two in the state of Illinois. And you can see how that would be considered a real threat. Right. And, right. and it is going to be. You're going to see them use their numbers by the time you get to the Utah Territory era, where Brigham Young is allowing women's suffrage just so the votes will go in his favor. You know, so uh, they're, they're very smart and they're very industrious. And one of the things we have to take into consideration is this is done out of sincere religious conviction. They actually believe what they're doing. Right. These people are selling everything they have. Oftentimes, they're not affluent people. No. They're people who have very little. Even Joseph Smith is not an a- affluent person, and he is not a person of means. If he wanted to grow rich, he could have done it, and he doesn't. I mean, even by the time you get to the years nearest his death, he tries to open a store and it fails. You know, he's just not a good businessman. Right. And and so say what you want about Joseph Smith, but to say he did this to become wealthy is just not true. Because if he failed at that goal, if that was the case. (laughs) So what what is probably the the biggest, let's say, peaceful, relatively peaceful political solution that the Missourians, we'll call them the Missourians in contradistinction to the Mormons, that the Missourians seek in order to deal with the fact that the Mormons are here and they're not going to leave the state, at least. So in 1832, so they're evicted by from Jackson County. They move up toward what will be known as uh, Caldwell County. They're going to establish Salem. Uh, by 1836, a larger number move. I'm skipping over a few things. And yes. so the General Assembly of the state of Missouri creates Caldwell County in 1836, with the understanding that it's going to be a Mormon settlement. Right. County seats far west. And by 18, so 1837, 1838, you're looking at around 4,000 people, which is not an insignificant city in those days. Right. So, yeah, they, they force them out, and a state legislature gives them their own county. And like I said, far west is going to be founded by Phelps and Whitmer. And, and in case you're wondering, you know, what does religious freedom mean or something, or, or what, what does toleration mean or whatever? And, and the Mormons theologically are, as we could go into at much greater length, you know, they're, they're in development at this point. But, but still, if you just want to think of them just on a sociological or political level as Protestant Christians, they're not, but let's run with it because they look like Protestant Christians to most people. Notice how religious freedom doesn't mean that we're all going to stay right next to each other. The Missourians say, <laughs> right. basically, we can't stand you. And it's pretty much mutual as far as we can tell from your <laughs> holy documents. So you get this county, right? Which is kind of cool if you think yeah, about it. Like not every territory is equally configured or similarly configured religiously or demographically or whatever. You go over here you don't have slavery over here. You have whatever weird stuff you have going on over here. I think some of the secret is getting out about polygamy at this time. If I'm if I'm right about that, um, they, I don't want. In the Missouri time, the the rumors are already cir- circulating yeah. about polygamy. Right, but you know, so they're just like, well, you go over here, and one of the big bones of contention as things heat up is whether the Mormons agreed to this exactly. Like whether they agreed to stay there, but that's complicated by the things that Joseph well, Smith well, has uncovered, right? Right, and that's and that's what's going to lead to the the tensions. I mean, so by 1838, things are really uh, late 1838, so like October, things are getting pretty ugly again because you have Ray County immediately south 
Mormon Caldwell County, okay, to its north. And there's a strip, about a 25-mile-long strip known as Buncombe Strip or Buncombe Strip, depending on how you want to spell it. And it's unincorporated, and it's attached to Ray County, and it's it's meant for military and admin purposes. And so the tensions are already there. To the west, you have Clay County. And so the borders are going to start to get very fuzzy around Caldwell County. And you have men like Whitmer, David Whitmer, John Whitmer, Phelps, Cowdery. They've relocated their families to Liberty and Richmond. That's the county seats of Ray and Clay counties. And they're going to be making claims, you know, that they've been threatened. And so, you know, we're we're getting into some very fuzzy stuff here. Right. So the, dis- the, the dissenters who are notable, I mean, kind of the cream of the crop of the early Mormons, and they are expelled okay, uh, from Caldwell County. And so they relocate their families to Richmond and to Liberty. By the Mormon church. By the right, Mormon church. Right. And they claim their property has been stolen. And so how right. significant this is, is, okay, so the Whitmers who are alleged witnesses to the plates of Moroni, Oliver Cowdery, who is the, who is the man who helps Joseph Smith translate the Book of Mormon, and W.W. Phelps, who is the chief publisher and communicator, they've been expelled. They head over into the other counties. Right. So I think I think we're tracking here. Right. So now you have protracted uh, problems among the Mormons. You've got Carroll and Davies counties throughout the summer uh, where they are, you know, having some some conflicts uh, with the Mormons. They're going to claim that Mormons are making threats, that Mormons are stealing property. And so, so then you have Hyde and Marsh, who are part of the Twelve Apostles uh, of the Mormon Church at the time. They're going to report that the Danites, and you can tell us who, I'll, I'll give you the honor of telling us who the Danites are. They came into Davies County and sacked the county seat of Gallatin. The Dan, yeah, the Danites are sometimes denied to exist. I think yeah. it's rather- and, and I realize, listeners, I'm throwing a lot of Mormon names and trivia at you out there like shotgun style but right and if you're really interested in this we'll put in the show notes the book that um, we used for this particular episode which is called fire and sword by leland gentry and todd compton that if you want to go into a lot more detail way more detail you can do that and and then orson hyde will become a household name in your own head and right it all it all come clear yeah it's it's the book i would have written had it not already been written you know (laughs) but the danites sometimes deny to exist function as a kind of secret society specifically for the the physical violent defense or extension depending on how you want to look at their <laughs> actions of yeah. mormonism so whether it's some sort of bodyguard or or lifeguard or you know in the sort of british military sense of the term or what they are they seem to function like a kind of secret society almost like the zealots of the sicarii i do in biblical times yeah joseph smith calls them a secret combination which is a term borrowed yep. from the book yep. of mormon yeah yep right right yeah and, uh, the book of mormon is full of <laughs> conspiracy and then strangely enough so is early mormon history it's really weird <laughs> right. how it works yeah well i mean the number the sheer number of just Plots, excommunications, and then readmittance of notable members is fascinating. You could write a whole book based upon that. And and so you have the Danites here, 
which is going to be perpetually debated, you know, how much influence they had, how big they were, but it's very hard to deny their existence. I mean, I believe very strongly that they existed. Oh yeah. And so you got the Danites and now the Danites are going to be accused of, okay, sacking the County seat, but they're also accused of plotting to burn down Liberty and Richmond. Right. Okay. So now, now the citizens are worried. And so they send the children, the women and children, what property they could across the river in case of this Mormon invasion and the state militias put on alert. Now, some scholars will say, well, that was unfounded because nothing happened. And this was just anti-Mormon, you know, hysteria. Right. But I think a more honest reading of the history is probably that once they started moving their families out and fortifying the cities that the Danites knew what was up. And so they stopped. Yeah. I think that's more likely given, given, given the history. Yeah, precisely. And this kind of leads up to Nahans mill. That massacre is going to be kind of the most notable battle or skirmish or incident of the Missouri Mormon war. But the prelude to that is the battle of crooked river. Right. And so What's going to happen there is, and this is what's going to lead to the extermination order. So everything I told you, you know, led up to this, uh, you know, now it's going to be a very small number of casualties, you know, something like four killed overall, nine wounded. Right. But but still, how many, how many wars between, you know, Baptists and Mormons have you seen in your life? <laughs> and <laughs> so... You have a general, I believe, Atkinson of Clay County. He's the commander of the state militia. Samuel Bogart is going to be uh, the captain here. And they're at this Buncombe Strip that I mentioned before. So they're, that's to repel. They're going to be stationed there to repel any kind of invasion into Ray County. So Bogart's an interesting guy. Uh, he was uh, present in Carroll County, you know, probably part of groups that were harassing the Mormons before. So he's very anti-Mormon. He visits the home of the saints who are living in Buncombe Strip. He disarms them. He he says, get out of the county. We don't want you here. It's time to go. And Bogart actually goes into Caldwell County and says, it's time to leave far west. So reports make it back and reports that the mob here, the militia had captured uh, some Mormons who were going to execute them. So basically, it's now time for a skirmish, and the Mormons head south, and they come along. Uh, it's kind of on this road that connects far west to Richmond, so they're coming uh, into this gap that we're talking about, and they camp along the banks of the Crooked River, and so there the first skirmish begins. And now ba- what you have essentially is the state militia, from the point of view of the governor, being attacked by the Mormon militia. So now they are seen as the aggressors and they have formally attacked an official state body. Right. So what had been, maybe had been mobs before or rabble rousers. Now it's official. You know, you could say it was a mob of concerned citizens before, but now you attack official state, you know, representatives. And the the grounds for doing this, I mean, this is, this is where the question of borders and violence becomes so interesting because the grounds for doing this involve not not states much less a nation state but counties yeah okay territory within counties and and what the missourians understood to be 
you know, these are the boundaries and, and you stay there, but now you've become so intolerable that you, you even need to get out of the county seat of the county we gave you. In addition to which is that now the violence is not against private citizens. It is against Correct. lawfully constituted authorities, the state militia, and the state militia is acting a certain way against this group of people who have certain religious right. convictions that the state militia finds intolerable. Yeah. And so, so this certainly escalates things. And this really begins the Mormon war proper. Right. Now, were the reports of the Mormons coming into Davies County uh, exaggerated? Maybe. Although, if you read the reports, I mean, we know that certain things were exaggerated, but who, who was exaggerating? You know, they said, oh, half of the militia had been killed. And so that the word gets back to Boggs about that. Okay, so they put down how much of the militia here. That's that's a problem. So from there, Boggs calls out 2,500 members of the state militia, and he perceives this to be an open rebellion. And he issues Executive Order 44 or the Mormon Extermination Order. That Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state and directed the militia to carry this out. Right. And I can read the whole thing to you. It's short, but that's the gist of it. Mormons must be treated as enemies and exterminated or driven from the state if necessary for the public peace. Their outrages are beyond all description, to use the exact words. Now, the cool thing about this is it's not repealed to like the 70s, the 1970s. Um <laughs> But here, but here you have a we governor. We used to be a proper country, <laughs> right? Right. We have a governor here calling for the extermination or removal of a certain religious group, right? And the Supreme Court's not concerned. You know, today you couldn't get away with it. It would be some legal argument about freedom of religion. While it's the same Constitution, allegedly in right. 1838, the, it uh, it's certainly interpreted. Very differently. And plus, we've added added a few amendments to complicate. We've got a few other things in there, right? Um, So, yeah, the 14th Amendment doesn't exist, so it can't govern the application of all the other amendments. Yeah, exactly. Repeal it now. But anyway, so without going into, you know, detail, because we want to we got a lot more to talk about here. That's going to lead directly to the Hans Mill massacre, which is where you're going to have 200 men killed. Or excuse me. Um, about 200 people fighting right. and about 20 killed, yep. 17 to 20. And that's men and young boys. Following Hans Mills, I mean, immediately following the next day, Joseph is arrested. So he's in Missouri at the time, but they're going to be released within three weeks. Now, that's um, that's an interesting story in and of itself, but time doesn't permit it. But they're going to be marched on, the, the, the prisoners that are left from independence to liberty and be incarcerated in the Liberty Jail. Joseph and his brother Hiram are actually indicted on a charge of treason at that time, but they are they escape while being transferred to Boone County. Really, they're allowed to escape, which is a very interesting story. The, the end of all this is that the bulk of the church membership, Mormon church membership in Missouri, have to leave the state. And that's where you're going to see them head to Illinois, predominantly in the city of Nauvoo. And why do they go to Illinois? Is it simply because it's perceived as a firmly northern state? It's it's safe for them to be there or um, by our acquaintance? Or? Well, okay. I think part of that's interpretation. So his fa- Joseph Smith's family by 1839 is already in Illinois. They're going there for perceived safety. But the problem is, you know, 
from the Mormon perspective, God's going to have revelation that's going to show them why they came there. So you can answer it in two ways. It's just bald history. It's like, okay, it's across the border. It's relatively close. Right. You know, in yeah. a way. I mean, you know, sort of. Uh, yeah, it's it's closer to Iowa, but close to Missouri. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and right. so it's perceived as safer. It's out of the reach of Lilliburn Boggs, which is right. important. Right. So Joseph's going to join his family in April of 1839 in Illinois. In May, on May first, they purchase essentially the town of Commerce, Illinois, which will be later, which will be uh, renamed uh, Nauvoo. And you know, in the middle of all that, they're sending more missionaries out. That's the second mission to England, things like that. And so, really, everything, you know, settles in Nauvoo. In October of 1839, the wounds from Missouri are still fresh enough that Joseph Smith goes to Congress to petition. Uh, for the grievances of the Missouri Latter-day Saints. So this, I mean, that is fascinating to me because yeah. even though there's been violence, you know, there agreements have been broken, whatever side you're on, some agreement has been broken. He's still perceiving legal recourse in the federal government. Yeah. in the federal government. Okay. And, and I do think that that is indicative of the politics of the time <laughs> because I mean, look at what, look at what kind of political, persuasions joseph smith has he's sort of on the the mormons are kind of on the progressive side of things they are yeah and so he's going to meet actually with van buren president van buren at the time and he'll meet with members of congress but of course it proves fruitless you know nothing happens and but, they, but why are they rejected i mean do we have a sense of that they're just weird he has no power he represents nothing essentially he has no power he represents nothing their their reputation is already bad. I mean, it's reached Washington. Right. You know, you can, um, you know, it's one of those things that I think is, is open to interpretation. I think it, the clear answer is Missouri is still the West. It's still far out there. So this is some weird religious fringe group out in the West. <laughs> what, what does Martin Van Buren care about? It's a state matter. Why does the federal government need to get it? It is involved? a state matter. Yeah, that's key, right? Yes, yeah. that to think and about so, borders in terms of states. Yeah, and so let Boggs handle it. Right. And and for us that's so foreign, living post-Lincoln, post-Civil War, that way of thinking is almost destroyed. Right. And so it's just it's just not their concern. I wish we had more documentation there on that and you know, from the other side, just to see what what their thoughts were. We have plenty of documentation, for example, like with the Smoot hearings that are going to happen much later on with right. the Utah Territory right. and, and his seating. And we get a pretty good perception, an idea of the perception that most Americans had of Mormons at that time. But that's, you know, much later right. in Mormon history. So, so yeah, so, so, please, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I think one thing we might want to talk about in the time that remains is both what happens on the border that we're particularly paying attention to. But before that, mm-hmm. how do the Mormons reconstitute themselves as a group in Nauvoo, especially politically or militarily, you know, you know, does that have anything to do with their, with what happens in Missouri, right? Or do they just go on as if that didn't happen? No, uh, they are going to be absolutely transformed by this so that the Nauvoo militia will be very prominent within society with Joseph Smith as its captain. So we have these great <laughs> drawings of Joseph Smith looking like Napoleon 
and and that's really going to be the way they're governed. Uh, yeah. They are going to be very cognizant of these sorts of things going forward. Yeah, you know, so much so that the event that leads to Joseph Smith's uh, killing, martyrdom to some people, but <laughs> his slaying um, is directly related to this. So John Bennett publishes the Nauvoo Expositor. And Joseph Smith is going to send his militia to go and destroy the printing press. And that's ultimately going to be his undoing. The militia is then going to be seen as just his muscle. I, and I want to stress, this is just an extremely weird thing for a Northern people to be engaged in well, before like 1858. Yeah. Is that <laughs> right. a highly organized communally enforcing militia is supposed yeah. to exist on paper in Vermont and Ohio or wherever, yeah. but it, it really doesn't, you know? Um, right. And this is a organized mustard for lack of a better term militia yeah. in a newly founded city that rivals Chicago. Right. Like this is, this is dangerous. This is very <laughs> dangerous. Yeah. And, and then to destroy a printing press at that time in America is absolutely scandalous. So many First Amendment violations right. all over the place. Yeah, all over the place, vivid. according and, and to and modern and understanding. That, and so while the citizens of Illinois and Missouri don't like allegations of polygamy and don't like what the newspaper is saying about them, they definitely don't like the destruction of a printing press and what is right. perceived as tyranny. Right. So now Joseph Smith is seen as a demagogue. He's seen as what would we would call a cult leader today, but they didn't really have that vocabulary. Right. And so... So he is arrested and he is put in, in jail. Is he arrested on grounds of treason or simply, or it is treason. It is treason treason this time too. Yeah. It is treason that time. And, um, and so, uh, you know, that's really what's going to get him. Uh, and of course, destruction of property. And so the mob grabs him. And so, so what happens, the reason why they're charged with treason is not because they destroyed the printing press. It's because they uh, declare martial law. <laughs> yeah. And so the Nauvoo Legion, the official name for the militia, right? you know, is sent to be the government, you know, and to protect the city. So he calls martial law. That leads to the charge of treason. Is, the, is this the same year that he's running for president? Yeah, this is all at the same time. Yeah. So we're talking... Five years, is that correct, after the expulsion from Missouri? A little bit longer. So this is 1844. 1844, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But all of this is, yeah, within five years, all of this is taking shape. Okay. So they're taken, you know, about 45 minutes away from Nauvoo to Carthage. They're in Carthage jail where a armed mob of about 150 men stormed the building. And in blackface. And this is all in Illinois, to be clear. This is all in Illinois. This is all in Illinois. Yep. And they storm into the place where the three men are held. Hiram, shot in the face, instantly killed. Joseph Smith pulls out his piece, empties it, but is shot and falls from a a second-story window. So uh, he is killed. And that's kind of the end of his story. (laughs) Um, I mean, the... Significantly, you know, the people in the surrounding area in Illinois, some of them are, Illinois is a lot more mixed than Missouri at that time. So some of them are going to be from the upper South. Some of them will be from the North in various places, but everyone seems to find, even outside of Missouri, everyone seems to find the Mormons ultimately intolerable 
and enforces that in ways both violent and nonviolent, right? Right. Legal, also legally violent with the militia. All of this, I think, seems unthinkable in modern America. Like the Mormons would just, if they could afford the land, they could just have the place, right? Right. I mean, we, we would have no other recourse. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I think, um, you know, what it reminds me of is, and I, and forgive me because I can barely pronounce the official name of this, but the followers of Osho who settle, you know, out West in the Northwest in the eighties and seventies. Oh yeah. And, right. you know, it was a Netflix it, documentary. I don't remember. Yeah. What it was called. Yeah. Uh, wild, wild the, country. We, yeah. Like and we in the know knew about it beforehand, you know, cause how can you forget when a gigantic, you know, guru-led commune tried to poison people on a mass scale <laughs> to affect election results but right. it, it took netflix to bring it back right that's maybe the closest thing i can think of in modern times that would mirror that jonestown's different um similar but they at least leave the country but they leave the country because they you know they knew they couldn't get away with that in in the america of the 70s and, and, 80, and early 80s right or, or late 70s sorry they you know Sorry, drag my right. timeline out. I keep getting stuck in the 19th century and my decades hey, are shifting. Same, same. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we would just say, well, live and let live. You know, what's the big deal here? And the violence within Mormonism is going to continue even after the violence with the federal government stops and the state government stops. So we're going to go from violence with the state governments. By the time you get to the Utah war, they're fighting with the federal government. Okay, so that settles down, and now they're going to be fighting with each other all the way up into the 20th century where murders are being committed because of these different Mormon factions that happen. Right. right. Well, because you have you have such a nice, easy link between divine revelation and enforcement of violence. And this is where the connection between a John Brown character and you know the Danites seems not only to have the same genealogy perhaps literally in some cases, in divine revelation received somewhere in or around I, New England. I hate to admit it, but I do think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't like associating John Brown with the Danites because right. I, I, I think I like them more. Right, right, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and one always has, depending on, you know, taste, more or less sympathy to various characters. But, you know, immediate enactment of divinely sanctioned violence is fairly common and it's especially common among Yankee derived peoples. And that's, that's something yeah. that when we think about either the history of Missouri, as we're going to continue it in talking about bleeding Kansas or yeah. the, you know, well, the and, and because it is so tied to politics in those days and government in those days, it becomes much more dangerous. Right. You know, we, we see similar things, at least spiritually speaking in say the creeping Pentecostalism, among churches where people will say, well, God told me this. Yep. And so to go against what they say is tantamount to going against God. Right. It's the same idea on it a much is. smaller scale and less violent scale. It is. Yeah. And and one of the things that's actually brought up in a very strictly theological way by the probably Baptist majority in Western Missouri against the Mormons, including Jesse James's father, who's one of the founders of William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri, is mm -hmm. that they are claiming to work apostolic wonders. So that, right. <laughs> that, you well, know, it's, and, it's very, and that's the thing yeah. about uh, early Mormonism is it's very much proto-Pentecostal. You have claims of divine healing, 
by the laying on of hands through Joseph Smith and others. Right. You have speaking in tongues, which is something that is hardly ever talked about in yeah. Mormon history. Yep. And that extends all the way to, the, to Brigham Young, who would even <laughs> sing in tongues. And you don't think about that with Mormons now because no. they've jettisoned a lot of that. Right. Yeah. And, and Pentecostals tend to start their story at Azusa Street, but right. the manifestation of these things dates much farther back, even just in America. Right. And people people forget that. You know, these these things are not entirely new. And even the forms they take, where they're not speaking known languages, they're speaking what the earlier Mormons called angelic tongues. Right. You know, well before Azusa Street. Right. And that's what we think of as Mormonism, but but in Mormonism, especially early, I mean today too, but to a much more I'm gonna say safer degree, at least as far as bloodshed goes, you have this idea that not only is God speaking through the prophet, but God is individually revealing things to everyone. Right. And so that's why you have, even in the time of Joseph Smith, these breakaway groups that claim that they're the true inheritors of the revelation. Right. Yeah. I, a lot of times when you hear about, oh, there's this many Protestant denominations, you really, you should always drill down when somebody recites commonplaces right. to you. But a lot of that is splintering due, particularly in America, to the prevalence of the notion of direct revelation to individuals that we have all over our religious history, which pretty much always also causes immense political, practical problems for everybody who doesn't have the benefit of believing in that direct revelation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so there we are. You know, this is a... Um, this really, this period, uh, the Mormon-Missouri War, I believe, should be taught in every American history class because it touches on so many things that, you know, that pertain to things like the Civil War, right? Religious liberty, even in a modern context, what does that look like? And it's become really a footnote, but it's going to have broad implications for American history, including the settlement of the West. I mean, I would be willing to bet that. 2% of the listeners had heard of, much less learned anything about it before today, right. because it's it's the only place it's not a footnote is in Mormon history proper. Correct. Outside of which, it you know, you might have heard of Bleeding Kansas, which we'll get to in two weeks, but this has so many of the same shapes of conflict, including the very same people groups. And yeah. some of the same theological problems as what you're going to get in Bleeding Kansas. So you're going to get more debate about scriptural interpretation because the groups are more firmly Protestant in the case of Kansas. But the idea of direct divine conviction and then even violent action on the basis of that is something that's going to come up again and again. Right. And one wonders, will it come up again in American history? See, political violence is so boring. Yeah. I mean, I don't wonder. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have violence. We're going to have violence. But, but will it be religious? And I mean, everything's religious in nature. But right. you know, will the will the Idahoans come out of the woods? <laughs> and well, yeah, I think. I mean, as far as talking about the future goes, I, I do think that the fact that American Protestantism is now probably majority, perhaps even overwhelmingly majority, non denominational. Mm -hmm. is going to be very politically important because direct revelation simply is not a problem for them. Correct. And, you know, some of our guys like to say, well, non-denominational, that, that just means Baptist. No, it really doesn't. 
It could you mean wish. any number. You, you wish. <laughs> if it was just Baptist, we, we would know a few more about where the individuals stand. Right. So it is, it is very much this horrible chimera of the worst of American evangelicalism oh. and, and, and increasingly pluralism, I would argue. Yeah. And, you know, where, where exactly that goes and which political direction is, is hard to portend because our whole country is in the same kind of ongoing religious and demographic flux that Missouri was in the middle of the 19th century. That's why, that's why we're using it as a locus for understanding these things. And at that point, so in 1839, and we'll pick up next week and talking about the Germans more, more directly mm -hmm. and, and, and some of the parallels, honestly, particularly with the Missouri Synod, as we do that, you have to realize nobody in Jackson County, Missouri in 1839 is sitting there thinking, okay, well, what if in 10 years, our entire state is swamped by people who don't even speak English? Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody can imagine that, right? Um, right? So when you're trying to talk about the future in the United States of America, you can you could project out certain patterns from the past. And theologically, it's very significant to me that both English-speaking non-denominational Christianity, but also Spanish-speaking Protestantism mm -hmm. in the United States is overwhelmingly charismatic. Yeah. Absolutely. So I can project that out, but exactly how it's going to work out in Idaho or California, that's harder to say. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. A fun discussion. Thank you for um, you know, yes, throwing, throwing the Mormon carrot in front of me. Yeah, the me pleasure is mine. <laughs> so this has been a brief history of power. I'm Willie Grills here with Dr. Kuntz. Thanks for listening. You know where to find us. The period of Lutheran orthodoxy produced the most profound doxological and God-honoring theology the world has ever known. For too long, the literary works of Lutheran Orthodoxy have remained locked away as cumbersome PDFs in gigantic databases, as dusty volumes in rare book rooms, or as expensive collector's items. But the Fathers of Lutheran Orthodoxy Project is committed to putting them back into the hands, hearts, and minds of Christians everywhere at affordable prices. To find out more, Visit us on Facebook and Lulu at Fathers of Lutheran Orthodoxy. The Hebron Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply. HebronCollegium.com What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you. Natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, Our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School 
provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, our Savior Pagosa Springs has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School, a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith, in the beautiful inland northwest.